ladies, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, good morning. Welcome to the uh, Rafik Hariri Center of the Atlantic Council. Uh, my name is Fred Hoff and I'm the director of the center. We are honored this morning to have a very special guest. His name is Ra'ed Esela and he heads Syrian self-defense, Syrian civil defense. Better known as the White Helmets, Syrian civil defense is a nonpartisan, nonpolitical, unarmed collection of volunteers dedicated entirely to the saving of human lives. It is an organization that has received multiple nominations for the Nobel Peace Prize, including one by the president and CEO of the Atlantic Council, Frederick Kemp. Indeed, the White Helmets received the Atlantic Council's Global Freedom Award in Rochlev, Poland earlier this year. And Netflix has just produced a short documentary entitled, The White Helmets, To Save a Life is to Save Humanity. There will be a special screening of this film at Carnegie here in Washington this evening at 6 p.m. thanks to the support of Mr. Ayman Asfari, CEO of Petrofac in London. The nature of the war in Syria has dictated the principal activity of the White Helmets, rescuing the survivors and securing the remains of those targeted by Syrian government and, for the past year, Russian air assaults on civilian residential areas. Hospitals, homes, and schools, marketplaces, mosques, and now underground shelters, these have been the targets of a campaign aimed at producing political outcomes through the application of terror. The Secretary General of the United Nations among others, has made it clear that what is happening in Aleppo right now is criminal. It is a gross and deliberate violation of international humanitarian law. What is equally criminal, in my view, is that those who are committing these crimes do so with a sense of impunity and immunity that is absolute. They have measured the reaction of the West to civilian slaughter in Syria over the past five years, and they have concluded quite rationally that they may do as they wish, when they wish, to anyone they wish, using any tools of terror at their disposal. Not content with barrel bombs dropped from Syrian Air Force helicopters, the Russian Air Force now employs bunker-busting munitions to get at people in underground shelters. Our focus this morning is on the work of the White Helmets. I will invite Ra'ed Sala to share with you his organization's work and his views of the current abomination in Aleppo. 
where the white helmets themselves are being routinely targeted by Russia and the Assad regime. We'll then have a brief conversation on, on stage where I'll be joined by my colleague, Faisal Itani, and by Mr. Saleh's colleague, Dr. Farouk Habib, who oversees the training of the White Helmets as the program manager of Mayday Rescue. Uh, then we'll turn things over to you for your questions. But first, let's have a look at the trailer from the new Netflix documentary. For those of us who are tempted to give up on Syria, please consider the courageous selfless, life-saving work of the White Helmets. The White Helmets represent the Syria of the future. Not only do they put their lives on the line to save human beings, they remind us and our leaders that we as human beings need not be governed by cowardice and indifference in the face of lawlessness and brutality. Please join me in welcoming the leader of the White Helmets, Mr. Rod Esala.
thank you very much. Uh, my name is Raad Saleh of the White Helmets. أنا من سوريا من إدلب من مدينة جسر الشغور نحن بدأنا عملنا ب 2013 من بدأ القصف وكانت الانطلاقة بصراحة من حلب ما من إدلب كانت الانطلاقة من مدينة اللي تعرض الآن لتدمير بشكل كامل نحن اليوم ما فينا نقول عن حلب تعرض لهجمي شرس بالقنابل الارتجاجية أو القنابل العنقودية أو القنابل الفوسفورية المحرمة دوليا. Thank you all. My name is Raed Saleh. I'm from Idlib, from a town called Jisr Shahur. And uh, my name is Kinan Rahmani. I'll be providing for you a uh, translation. I work with the Syria campaign, which is supporting the White Helmets on their tour. Um, Raed uh, is from Jisr Shahur, a town in Idlib. And in 2013, they started a group called the Syrian Civil Defense, which responds to the uh, bombings that are taking place in Syria and going to rescue. The White Helmets uh, is the popular name that it became known as, and it started from a town in Aleppo, uh, not from Idlib. And that town in Aleppo today is experiencing a tremendous escalation of airstrikes, including the new use of bunker busters. طبعا تأسست الفرق مع بداية الحملة البراميل على المتفجرة على مدينة حلب ب 2013 اللي نحن كنا بنتوقع انه هي الأشد إجراما ولكن أنا مثل ما ذكر السيد هوف انه كان النظام عم يختبر الدول الأوروبية أو أمريكا والأمم المتحدة إنه شو هي ردة فعلة على الجرائم المرتكبة بحق الإنسان في سوريا. Our campaign began in 2013 when the uh, Syrian government began using barrel bombs in their attacks against civilian areas, and we thought at that time in 2013 that the barrel bomb would be the the most extreme version of the uh, government's use of violence against civilians, uh, but we were, we were shocked that that was actually not the case. And as Ambassador Hoff said earlier, um, it seems the Syrian government was merely testing the international community to see how far he could test his uh, violence. وبعد ست شهور كان في صديق إلي آخر بمجلس الأمن عم يحكي عن الكلور فهل يعني رح يكون قرار جديد إنه رح يكون في صديق إلي آخر يجي يحكي عن القنابل الارتجاجية يعني هذا هو اللي نحن ممكن نعمله بالعالم لا نجيب عالم تحكي عن هذا القصف بس صدر قرارات بس القرارات للأسف هي برفوف الأمم المتحدة نحن بحاجة اليوم بصراحة لضمير يحرك الإرادة السياسية لإيقاف الجرائم التي ترتكب بحق الإنساني في سوريا. A year and a half ago, I went to the Security Council and I spoke on the uh, occasion of the passing of a resolution uh, regarding the barrel bombs, and I spoke about the barrel bombs in Syria. And six months after I visited the Security Council, another friend of mine went to the Security Council again to speak about the use of chlorine bombs uh, when the Security Council was discussing chlorine weapons. And 
is it is it possible? Is it what will happen that just in six months from now there will be another resolution in the Security Council to discuss the use of bunker busters? Is that really what our role in all of this is, just to come and speak on the occasion of passing of resolutions at the Security Council, which do not extend beyond the reaches of the United Nations? What we need is actually a political will and a moral will to stop the violence in Syria. يعيشون في ضمن الحصار المشافي أعلنت عدم قدرتها على استيعاب المزيد من الجرحى المياه قطعت والكهرباء قطعت 12 سيارة من, من 19 سيارة من أصل 42 بالدفاع المدني تم تدميرها ثلاث مراكز أحد المراكز اللي شفتوه هلا يعني بالفيديو هذا صار من الماضي هذا المركز صار من الماضي تدمر بشكل كامل هو وآلياته الشاب اللي شفتوه عم يطلع الطفل من تحت الأنقاض هذا الشاب استشهد للأسف نحن بلشنا عم نفقد كثير من مقومات استمرارية عملنا في سوريا Today in Aleppo there are 275,000 Syrian civilians who are living under siege These are civilians who have no access to the outside world they have no access to food and water, they have no access to electricity. These are people who are living in total isolation, basically awaiting their death. And on top of all of that, we have a situation now where the hospitals are also being uh, destroyed. We have, uh, all of the hospitals have stopped accepting new patients because of the overflow and the inc inability to treat the flow of uh, injured uh, civilians. And even our centers as the White Helmets have been targeted um, we had 19 vehicles that were destroyed in the past couple weeks because of the uh, airstrikes. And three of the four centers that we have in Aleppo, including the one that you just saw in the film, um, were destroyed. So even what you're seeing in a film which is just recorded not that long ago is now just the past. The young man that you saw rescuing the baby from under the rubble, Khalid, he was a martyr and he passed away as well. So now we've come to this point where even our life-saving efforts are being um, taken away. In Syria, now, everything is destroyed. It's destroyed for 7,000 years. It's destroyed for human beings in Syria. It's destroyed for the hospitals, the hospitals, the hospitals, the hospitals, and the hospitals, and the hospitals, and the hospitals. It's been used for three years now. It's used in the and the and the تهجير أهل حلب من حلب هذا اللي نحن مقبلين عليه في المستقبل. In Syria, everything is destroyed. Civilization itself, which has lasted now for thousands of years, is being destroyed. The human being and the human spirit is being destroyed. Schools, blood banks, hospitals, bakeries, the centers of life are being destroyed. And this is not a new strategy. It's a strategy which began three years ago in Daraya and Wa'ar and Hamas and all of these cities and towns in which the Assad regime uh, and you know different parties, the Assad regime and the, its allies have basically destroyed entire civil, um, you know, civilization and and all of our centers of uh, life, and we we fear that the the destiny of those towns for people to be displaced from them will be the same as Aleppo that 
Aleppo's destiny will be the complete displacement of all of its people from outside of the city of Aleppo. في كتير قابلنا من المسؤولين أو الشخصيات اللي بيسألونا شو المطلوب لحتى تستمروا بعملكم. A lot of people come to us and ask us, what do you need in order to be able to continue your work? نحنا ما عم نطلب نستمر بعملنا. يعني نحنا ما عم نطلب أي إمدادات لحتى نستمر بعملنا. يعني نحنا عم نطلب إيقاف قتل المدنيين في سوريا. نحنا نطلب نوقف عملنا. يعني بصراحة العمل اللي ممكن نشوفه كتير ناس بطولي هو بالنسبة إنما أساء يومية من عيشه. يعني إنك تتعامل كل يوم مع أشلاء الجسس ومع أشخاص ممكن تطلع أبوك أو أبو أو أختك أو أمك أو حتى زوجتك وأطفالك ممكن تلاقيهم تحت الأنقاض هذا أمر من الصعب إنه نتحمله لفترات طويلة لحنا يعني مطالبنا هي إيقاف العمل إيقاف قتل المدنيين في سوريا حتى نبدأ نحن كوايت هلمس نقدر نبني جسور السلام بين أطياف الشعب السوري نقدر نشتغل مع الأطياف الشعب السوري الأخرى أن نقدر نعيد الاستقرار والسلام لبلد عاشت لفترات طويلة تحت سلام بس ولكن الآن عم يحكمه مجرم وللأسف إلى الآن ما في أي ردود فعل دولي ضد هذا المجرم Our demand is not for support to continue the work of the White Helmets Rather our demand is to stop the killing itself so that we don't have to continue this awful job. Some people might think that what we're doing is heroic, but in fact, it is devastating and depressing beyond belief. Imagine pulling out corpses from underneath the rubble. Imagine one day you don't know if the corpse that you're pulling out is your sister or your brother or your, someone from your family or your friends. Thank you very much. That's the situation that we face now in, uh, in Aleppo. So what we ask is actually the stopping of the killing of, of civilians so that we can be the people who bring the peace back to Syria so that we can help rebuild the society and um, move it beyond uh, the state that it's currently in, in which it's being governed by a criminal. And until now, we have not seen a reaction from the international community to stop this criminal. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we, uh, we began a little bit late uh, this morning, and uh, for, that I, uh, for that I apologize. Uh, in compensation, we'll, uh, we'll keep the, our discussion up here to a minimum uh, so, we can, uh, so we can turn it over to you. The, uh, you know, the only comment I, I would like to make uh, in the wake of Ra'id's statement is even if there are, even if there are those among us who are not moved by the sheer enormity of the humanitarian abomination that is taking place in Aleppo now and has been taking place over the past five years. Even if there are some among us who are, who are not moved by that aspect of it, I think there's an inescapable truth here. 
and that is as long as civilians are on the bullseye in Syria, nothing good politically or diplomatically will happen in this country. And this is, this is I think, the, uh, the dilemma our administration is wrestling with right now. Uh, from the president on down, there is intellectual acceptance of that proposition. The question is what to do about it operationally. And uh, I think there are probably some, some reasonable answers to that question. Certainly, 51 dissenting diplomats in the Department of State think that there is a reasonable answer to that question. Until we have the President of the United States demonstrating genuine curiosity and general, gen, genuine leadership on this, uh, on this issue, I don't think we'll have anything. Uh, but our focus today is on the work of the white of the white helmets. I would like to uh, I would like to start with uh, actually with Dr. Habib, if I may, uh, if you could uh, if you could say a few words about what goes in to the recruitment and the training of these volunteers. I mean, how yeah how, how do you how do you train people to to do the kinds of uh, extraordinary things that are done, you know, particularly when, you know, in the middle of a rescue operation, you find yourself subjected to the, uh, the infamous double tap. Yeah. Thank you very much. <clears throat> I've been working now for three years with Vaid and our other colleagues of the White Helmets. And you can imagine how difficult and complicated the situation in Syria. But actually, the development of the work uh, and performance of the White Helmets teams in Syria has been really amazing and uh, exceptional. Regardless of all the pressure uh, the teams are facing, but actually with the uh, support of the local communities and with the, with the uh, courage and uh, aspiration of those teams to uh, rescue their relatives, their neighbors, their communities. At the end, they are from the same communities, from the Syrian people. They have achieved big uh, development. And uh, due to the uh, obstacles we face in getting uh, volunteers from inside Syria to other countries to receive training, so we started gradually over the past two years to train trainers from the volunteers themselves to return to Syria and train their colleagues. And uh, we've been able to now to establish many training centers in different parts in Syria. And those, those trainers, actually, we're proud to say that they are, might be the best in the world. Uh, unfortunately, in Syria now, the civil defender Fa uh, faces conditions that no other civil defender in the world can face in terms of number of operations per year and the type and nature of these uh, operations. Uh, the uh, rescue workers in Syria dream of the moment when they stop their rescue work in Syria and they, they uh, dream of having uh, international mobile teams that they would pass their experience to other countries 
not to rescue people in conflict zones, but uh, also to work in natural disasters and send uh, messages and build bridges of, of peace uh, from the Syrian people to other uh, people worldwide. Uh, uh, of course, the support that we're receiving to train and equip the rescue workers in Syria is not enough to meet all the needs that they have. But uh, the teams have been always creative in finding solutions using the available uh, materials in their environment and uh, to customize their vehicles and develop new uh, skills and tactics in dealing with the uh, rubbles and destroyed buildings in order to achieve very amazing results. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Raed, given the, uh, given the severity of the situation in Aleppo right now, uh, what, is, uh, what is happening within the ranks? of the white helmets, aside from, aside from casualties. Casualties aside, are, are you finding that, uh, that, that volunteers are, are, just, are just not able to put their lives on the line in, in, what, in what seems to be a concerted attack against them? يعني كل القصف والتمارين عم بصير شو الضحايا نفسهم شو عم بصير فيهم والمدنيين الحالية والمتطوعين لا بصراحة من أيام مضيت على الحملة على حلب اللي لحنا قدرنا نسجلهم نحصيهم إني ألف وسبعمائة غارة جوية تسعتاعش غارة بالقنابل الارتجاجية وحوالي ميتين غارة بالقنابل العنقودية والفوسفورية المحرمة دوليا So from in the past eight days, we've witnessed a ferocious campaign against Aleppo. We've documented 1,700 airstrikes on the city of Aleppo. 19 of those have been attacks with bunker busters, and 200 of them have been cluster bomb attacks and uh, weapons that are banned internationally. Our um, tentative but not final doc, uh, report on the fatalities of the past eight days are around 1,000. Mustashfayat, نفاد الأماكن نفاد كمية المستلزمات الإسعافية لحنا عدد الأطباء الموجودين حاليا بحلب هني 30 طبيب بس So the hospitals that are in Aleppo 48 hours ago they declared that they're no longer able to take in new patients due to insufficient space in those hospitals and um, in, in all of Aleppo now there's only 30 doctors to treat the injured نحن عنا بالدفاع المدني 120 متطوع عم 
حجم الدمار اللي بتعرض للمدينه هو لا يوصف وهي غير حمل هي حمله غير مسبوقه We have 120 volunteers with the white helmets in the city of Aleppo today. 12 of them have been injured. And so we're trying to convene training sessions in the town of Aleppo to recruit new volunteers because of the ferocious campaign that's unprecedented in the city of Aleppo. There's nowhere that Syrian civilians can hide or take uh, cover in the city of Aleppo. Uh, they're basically all just sitting in their homes waiting to be killed, and there's no solutions for these people. عدم توفر الأجهزة الطبية اللازمة لعلاج هؤلاء الجرحى فبتوقع بالأيام القادمة شد ما أحصينا عدد الشهداء رح يكون في زيادة كبيرة بعدد الشهداء لعدة أسباب لسببين السبب الأول أنه معظم هدول الأشخاص الجرحى حاليا رح نفقدهم بسبب عدم إخلاء الطبي من مدينة حلب والسبب الثاني أنه في هناك شهداء تحت الأنقاض عدد كبير لحنا ما قدرنا نستخرجهم لانه نحن حاليا مركزين استجابه الفرق على الاماكن اللي فيها جرحى ما ما عم نشتغل في الاماكن اللي فيها شهداء So the issue of the injured civilians is especially troubling and especially problematic. Uh, we have tens of injured in the city of Aleppo who need to be evacuated because of the lack of medical facilities and capability in the city. Um, and these need to be, some of them need to be evacuated to Turkey for specialized medical treatment. And because of the siege, they're unable to be evacuated anywhere. Um, and so in the next few days, we expect the number of, um, the number of fatalities, the number of martyrs to uh, increase tremendously for two reasons. The first one is that many of those who are injured, who are not able to receive treatment, uh, we will lose in the upcoming days. And the second reason is because there are many people who are buried underneath the rubble who we have not had a chance yet to excavate from beneath the rubble uh, because the focus of the White Helmets has been mostly on those areas and trying to reach the injured and has, we've basically left a lot of the martyred people underneath the rubble. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is this is obviously a, a horrific story uh, for those of us for those of us who are American citizens. I think uh, I think we can take some pride in the fact that our Secretary of State is fully seized of these difficulties, and and he is doing his best, albeit albeit with nothing resembling real leverage. He is doing his best uh, to bring the curtain down uh, on this situation in Aleppo, uh, but he's doing it basically uh, you know, on the basis of his own persuasive powers, his own determination, his own charisma. Uh, he's been given little or nothing else uh, to work with. Uh, now, our focus this morning is on the white helmets, but I, but I do feel a need, uh, particularly for myself, uh, to, get, to get up to speed on, on what is the actual 
military situation in and around Aleppo. What are the what are the political military effects here? What what are the effects on uh, on diplomacy? And for that, I'd like to turn to my colleague uh, Faisal Itani. Just say a few words, and then we'll uh, then we'll open it up. Thanks, Fred. I mean, I'll be very brief because this could go on for a long time. Obviously, the ceasefire collapsed very dramatically last week. Uh, the most visible effects have been in Aleppo, and I have nothing to add to that other than what you've, uh, you've already heard within the city itself. Uh, all I'll say is that there are noises in opposition, in armed opposition circles in Aleppo that we could be seeing the beginning of a regime offensive to, take, uh, to sort of squeeze the eastern part of the city and take it. I don't know whether that's true or not, but uh, a few months ago, the popular belief in the sort of analytical circles uh, was that this is something so far-fetched and beyond the regime's capabilities and uh, almost a sort of abstract impossibility. Uh, I think now that there's at least a realistic, a realistic uh, chance that in the coming months it might become feasible, if not the coming weeks, uh, especially if there's no change in the sort of external situation. Uh, of course, you know, the war is going on outside Aleppo as well, uh, with ramifications for Aleppo, but also beyond. Uh, the opposition continues to make uh, advances in northern Hama, and they're starting to encroach uh, on the surroundings of the city itself. Uh, in neighboring uh, Idlib, uh, of course, you know, the airstrikes and the bombing continue. Uh, what we are seeing there is an attempt by some of the Free Syrian Army factions to put together a consolidated uh, military front. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I mean, this, this has happened before, but it's, uh, it's quite a new and interesting development. The south of the country where the revolution started is relatively quiet. That front has been more or less pacified for reasons do not least to do with actual Russian, Russian and Jordanian uh, interests in negotiations rather than sort of local military reasons. But that could change. And if that changes, you will see the regime calculus in the north changing as well as around Damascus. As for Damascus itself and the surrounding very crucial geographies of uh, the Damascus suburbs, it seems that the uh, strategy of long-term siege and bombardment has generated some results for the regime. Uh, there are only a few pockets left of opposition resistance, and I think the trend there actually is favoring the regime. Uh, finally, something that's sort of fallen off the radar in recent days because of uh, the catastrophe in Aleppo, there is still <laughs> Operation uh, Euphrates Shield uh, going on. This is, a, of course, Turkish, uh, a Turkish and rebel coalition that's aiming to clear a significant chunk of the Aleppo countryside from ISIS. They've taken some, lost some of what they've taken, retaken it. They say uh, that they want to go as far south as Al-Bab and Mara. That's an ambitious goal, it's not impossible, it's ambitious, and what, what seems to be the case is the commitment of resources on the Turkish side doesn't seem up to that particular task. I'm not saying they can't do it if they want to, I think they can. Uh, as for Raqqa, I mean, they're still, despite desire on the American side uh, to take it, I don't see any practical plan that would actually work given the political and strategic situation there to take it. Finally, amid all this, I have to admit I see this, I see things in general trending toward the regime direction, or at least the regime coalition, the Russia and Iran and the regime and the militias. I don't see anything on the US policy side other than a sort of wish and reliance on the strength of John Kerry's personality and the presumption that 
there is some sort of goodwill from the Russians or convergence of interest that would indicate that we have another plan. Uh, and I think even that is probably wearing a bit thin within, uh, within policy circles of the people who favor the plan. I'll stop there, Fred. Thank you. Thank you, Faisal. Uh, now it will be over to you. Uh, if you have a question, please, uh, please indicate. We've got, uh, we'll have microphones coming around. I would ask that you please uh, uh, stand up and uh, identify yourself. We have a hard stop today at uh, 1245. We will not go beyond that. And uh, we'll, uh, we will, in fact, go as far as uh, your curiosity takes us, as long as it's not beyond 1245. Uh, we'll begin up front here with uh, Mr. Uh, Omar Shawaf. Um, good afternoon. Here comes the mic. So good afternoon, uh, but just to give the audience an example, uh, we've worked together, uh, our organization on the ground has worked together, uh, but just as an example, uh, we had uh, talked about a communication system uh, for the uh, white helmets. That way they can coordinate about uh, reaching a specific area, uh, that they can be warned about a double tap, uh, or can be even uh, uh, by uh, scouts uh, around the city uh, could find out that a raid is already on its way. So since you are here in Washington, uh, at least wouldn't we ask our friends that uh, they would uh, provide such, such communication system and would be able to even, because they know exactly what helicopter has left Hmaimim, uh, and uh, the approximate time that it will get to its destination, be able to advise uh, the White Helmets at least that uh, a raid is on its way and its intensity. The least that they can do right now is provide us communication equipment for humanitarian, for the White Helmets. I mean, this is now established. And uh, also, if they are kind enough, just to give us a heads up as to the intensity that is on, on its way. Akhi, <coughs> حتى ولو استطعنا يعني نحن بصراحة اليوم سوريا هي استرادات للطيران يعني استخدام الإنزال المبكر صار بالنسبة للمدنيين هو غير مجدي يعني نحن مثلا خان شيخون إذا بدنا نستخدم الإنزال المبكر بخان شيخون فهو يتم استخدامه حوالي 200 مرة باليوم فهذا الناس بلشت تكره هاي صوت صفارة الإنزال اللي بتضرب لأنه الطيار هو ممر طيران فوق خان شيخون طيران يطلع من حما من الشعيرات من مطار السين بيتجه باتجاه الشمال كله بده يمر من فوق خان شيخون فهو كل ممر الطيارة بيتم بضرب صفارة الإنذار فيعني هذا الشيء يعني بلش غير مجدي يعني هو نحن ما عبد وصلنا نحن نعرف إنه طيارة خرجت من حميمين نوع كذا بدأ مثلاً سدائي لتوصل إدلب بدأ من دائي لتوصل الرقة بدأ أربع دائي لتوصل كذا بس نحن ما بنعرف فين بدأ تقصف هاي الطيارة يعني هي هاي المشكلة الذاتية الحقيقية والمشكلة الأكبر هي الاستراتيجية المتبعة 
عند النظام بال 2013 بدا يستخدمها او حتى روسيا بعد تدخلها هي استراتيجيه الضربات المزدوجه اللي هي بعد تنفيذ الغاره الاولى بعد حوالي 10 دقائق او ربع ساعه بيتم تنفيذ غاره اخرى هذا عم يزيد عدد الضحايا عم بيتم استهداف في فرق البحث والانقاذ فرق الاسعاف المدنيين اللي بيتجمعوا بالاماكن هذا عم بيزيد عدد الضحايا وعم بيعمل دمار اكبر في المنطقه اللي تم استهدافها So we're actually already working on this with one of our friends, uh, but the system that we have right now can only tell us the direction of planes, but not whether or not it's going to hit. The difficulty with such systems is that Siri has become a highway of source for all kinds of planes. Um, and so their early warning system is not really helpful or effective. For example, if we were to, when we implement the early warning system in a town like Khan Chekhun, um, we have 200 uh, the early warning system goes off 200 times in a day in Khan Chekhun because there are three airports and uh, airplanes are always flying over this town. Uh, so people have come to hate the sound of the sirens of the early warning system. Um, we so we know, for example, that an airplane is leaving Hmaymim Air Base, but, and we know the direction, we know how long it'll take to reach a certain place, but we don't know whether it'll hit or not. And honestly, the bigger problem for us is the strategy of the double tap, which the Assad regime started using, and now Russia is using as well since it intervened a year ago, which is to uh, in, um, do an initial strike and wait about 10 minutes for people to start gathering to start trying to uh, help and, and provide rescue uh, efforts for those who are beneath the rubble. And the plane comes back and hits in the same exact location again to increase the amount of casualties as much as possible. So this is the bigger problem that we face. Thanks. Uh, I'm Harlan Ullman with the Atlantic Council. Uh, the valor, the courage, and the tenacity of the White House cannot be White Hats cannot be overstated. My question really is for you, Fred. Um, what do we do? Western democracies have been notoriously complacent when it's come to humanitarian catastrophes. Spanish Civil War, Rape of Nanjing, um, Cambodia, Rwanda, Congo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're absolutely right about John Kerry, but John's now at the edge of what he can do and what he can't do. So what do we do that's politically realistic to deal with this, or are we going to continue to what we do in the past, and that's to be complacent and moan and let this thing just burn itself out. Yes, thank you. Uh, I, I think, as I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, the White the White House ac accepts as a, as an intellectual proposition uh, that this is much more uh, than a humanitarian catastrophe. It's a it's a political disaster. Even if we're even if we're not going to focus on what's happening to the people of Syria. Uh, the immediate neighbors, including a formal ally and other friends of the United States, uh, the impact of the migrant crisis on, uh, on Western Europe, which in turn impacted the Brexit vote, which in turn impacts and roils the politics of, of Western Europe, uh, what to do about it. Uh, what, what I would be content with, speaking, speaking personally, speaking as a former official, both in the Defense Department and the State Department, I would be content for President Obama to pull in Ash Carter, his Secretary of Defense, and say, Mr. Secretary, what is happening 
in Aleppo and in the balance of Syria is simply unacceptable. We are not going to invade this country. We are not going to occupy this country. We are not even going to engage in a campaign of violent regime change. But Mr. Secretary, I want to see some options that will exact a price of people who are currently conducting these civilian-centric terror campaigns, as I mentioned earlier, with absolute impunity, absolute immunity. Confront them with a price. The State Department dissenters, the magnificent 51 suggested cruise missiles on air bases. Is that the answer? I don't know. It, no fly zone, I personally do not believe that is the answer. That's my personal view. There is an answer somewhere, I think, what it requires to start with, rather than me or you or anybody else in this room prescribing the answer, what's required is for the President of the United States to give an, an affirmative, an affirmative statement of presidential intent to his Secretary of Defense. And then look at the options, weigh the risks, uh, but we need, to move, we need to move quickly here because uh, there's hell to pay here in any number of directions. Leaving, leaving aside Syria, which has been the focus of my professional work for the last seven years, God only knows what kind of conclusions Vladimir Putin has drawn over the past five years from American performance in Syria, what kinds of conclusions he is drawing now, and where else in the globe those conclusions will be applied. I really, really, really worry about what he's concluding from Syria and the destabilizing and dangerous effects therefrom. Questions? Yes. Hello, my name is Rosemary Johanna. I go to school at American. Um, my question is for Raad. Uh, first, I'd like to thank you for sharing your story with us today. Um, who is helping out the White Helmets um, in Aleppo right now? What sorts of allies do you rely on um, within the city? And to that end, what can everybody do here today to support the White Helmets and their mission? Thank you. بصراحة المساعدة بحلب يعني اليوم المدنيين هني هني أكبر سند لأننا في 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 سوريا وصراحة كيف فينا يساعدون الناس يعني بتوقع الكل يعني نحن في أطلقنا من سنة صندوق بطل صندوق بطل هو بيعنا بعائلات الشهداء والجرحى الدفاع المدني السوري بيجمع تبرعات لرعايتهم ونحن استمرارية العمل بحلب أكيد رح نضل مستمرين طالما أنه في الحاجة لعملنا ضمن المدينة
So within the city of Aleppo, our, the number one source of support for the White Helmets is the civilians themselves and their support for the um, civil defenders. Um, for people outside of the city of Aleppo, for the, for the people outside the city of Aleppo, um, we started a year and or a little more than a year ago something called the Hero Fund, which is a fund um, uh, by the Syria campaign, um, which provides uh, support for families of white helmets who have lost their lives in the line of duty and provides support for injured white helmets who are in need of continuing medical treatment. Uh, but regardless of the inability for um, you know us to receive more support from outside the city into the city, we will continue to do this dangerous work as long as there's a need for it in the city. So uh, please check out the Syria campaign online. Yes, sir. Yes. Thanks. Um, Akbar Shahid Ahmed with the Huffington Post. Thanks for the event. Could you describe how the experience has changed for you <clears throat> since the Russians began joining the aerial bombing with the regime about a year ago? And have the Russians or the regime at any time in any forum, whether the Security Council or anywhere else, tried to engage with you on reducing civilian suffering? من بعد مثلا شفت مجلس الامن بلغيبه بسائيه سعيه مشتركه لتحيه المدنيين لا الى الان ما في اي تواصل من قبل الروس او حتى من قبلنا معهم يعني صار في اجتماعات عامه كنا موجود مندوب موجود مندوب الروسي باعتباره ممثل عن دولته كنا موجودين لتقديم شهادات على الانتهاكات في سوريا اما بالنسبه لتغيير نمط عملنا فهو من بدء تدخل الروسي هو تم استخدام قنابل أكثر تدميرا هذا الشيء بيزيد من عدد ساعات العمل لاستخراج الجرحى والشهداء وبدأ استخدام القنابل الفوسفورية والعنقودية طبعا القنابل العنقودية هي الأكثر تأثيرا على المدنيين وبالذات بيتم قصفها في المناطق المأهولة بالسكان وهذا الشيء بيتطلب عمل ساعات طويلة لإزالة هذه الزخائر والتخلص منها فهذا الشيء زاد علينا اعباء جديده واللي هي التعامل مع القنابل العنقوديه وزاد ساعات العمل وعدد وزاد عدد الشهداء المدنيين والجرحى اثناء القصف. So until today we've had no communication with uh, Russians about how they can reduce the suffering. Um, there have been representatives of Russia present in uh, various testimonies that have occurred at the Security Council. Since the Russian intervention began, um, there has the the weapons that are used by Russian warplanes cause significantly more <clears throat> destruction and more devastation, which results in longer times for us to be working in the field, and it takes more time for us to rescue civilians. Uh, in addition to that, Russian attacks have brought have introduced. Uh, incendiary munitions and cluster munitions, uh, the latter of which cluster munitions are uh, the worst when it comes to impact on civilians, especially in populated areas. So these new types of weapons have added new challenges, which have resulted in us having more work to do that takes more time and uh, ultimately results in significantly more casualties. 
Obviously, uh, obviously, today there are not going to be, at least on this stage, many favorable reviews of, uh, of Russian policy in Syria. Uh, I, would, I would, in fairness, and just as a matter of, of, of extending, as a former officer, military courtesy, uh, there are Russian officers attached to the Humanitarian Affairs Working Group in Geneva, reporting ultimately to uh, Stefan de Mistura. Uh, the UN Special Representative. Uh, these officers, on occasion, and we're talking here about captains, majors, and lieutenant colonels, have been absolutely scandalized by the behavior of Syrian army units, particularly the 4th Armored Division, people in these units at checkpoints where humanitarian cargoes are trying to move through, regime soldiers literally stealing everything that is not nailed down. And these Russian officers on their own initiative have gone out to some of these checkpoints uh, to try to bring this, bring this under control. I just say that as a, as a matter of uh, professional courtesy Quite aside from the machinations going on in the Kremlin, uh, there are some there are some decent uh, decent people at that uh, ground level. Yes, sir. My name is Steve Arkawi. I'm from Damascus, Syria. I'm Syrian American. The question is, Hezbollah is a terrorist organization as much as ISIS. Is the coalition? or the Russian hitting the, the, those positions because Hezbollah is very effective in killing the Syrian and do a lot of damage over there. Are they doing anything against Hezbollah? Thank you. Faisal, why don't you uh, wrestle with that one? Uh, no, uh, no they're not because I mean, the, the simple answer is the criteria for who gets hit in Syria isn't whether you're a designated terrorist group. It's whether you threaten any particular party with air power. Uh, obviously, they're helping the regime, so they're not going to hit them. Because they're helping the regime, the Russians aren't going to hit them, and they pose no threat to the Russians anyway. Our position as the United States is more complicated. I mean, I personally think uh, if, if, that, if the criteria is terrorism, I mean, yes, it's fair game for all these parties. Uh, but the truth is, effectively speaking, Hezbollah doesn't, doesn't have any intent to target the United States. Not because they like the United States, but because A, they don't want the pushback. B, they answer to the Iranians. And that brings them into a much broader geopolitical and regional calculus that groups like Daesh and Jabhat al-Nusra don't have to answer to. Uh, because they answer to themselves uh, and, uh, and to their local environment. Uh, it doesn't mean a case couldn't be made for doing that, but the reason it isn't happening is because this isn't the motivation. The motivation is Daesh and, and uh, Al-Qaeda very vocally make clear that they're enemies of the United States. They intend to hit them. It's easy to hit them because there's no regional power attached to them that you have to deal with afterwards. Thanks, Faisal. Uh, Amal? Right, right up front here, and then we'll, then we'll go to this gentleman in the back. Thank you. 
أعمال مدللي. My question is not about the white helmets. I was wondering if you can help in that on that. After the Raya and Zabadani and all the Qasir, there were so many reports about population transfers and that they were bringing uh, Shia from Afghanistan, militias, and from Iraq, and from other parts of Syria, and replacing the Sunni population. Do you see the same trend happening uh, in, the, in the Aleppo area in the north? Thank you. احنا ما يعني بصراحه في اخبار عم تتوارد عن هذا الامر احنا ما عندنا معلومات عن انه ممكن يكون في عائلات تجاهلها يعني احنا ما عندنا اطلاع على هيك امور ابدا He said we've heard reports about um, in the media and, and on social media about this but we don't have any concrete uh, information about that we have a gentleman in the back there who's been very patient. Good point. Thanks. Hi, Max Blumenthal, uh, alternate. Um, just on the issue of a no-fly zone, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, testified at the Senate Armed, Armed Services Committee that a no-fly zone would mean war with the Syrian government and Russia. Frederick Hoff has said it's not a viable issue, but I wanted to ask uh, Raid Salah and the Syria campaign, which is doing public relations for the White Helmets. Um, your website is currently promoting a petition for a no-fly zone. The Syria campaign has promoted a no-fly zone. Um, there's never been a no-fly zone that didn't lead to regime change. Um, how does this fit with your mission to be impartial and apolitical, and how can such a policy uh, be enacted? So I'll answer that question first on behalf of the Syria campaign. Um, our, of course, we are an impartial, non-political organization. Uh, Syria campaign doesn't take political sides, but our position is that a no-fly zone would stop the suffering, would stop the uh, destruction. As you've seen, the majority of uh, Syrians are being killed today by airstrikes. And, uh, you know, we can differ with Ambassador Hoff about what the best mechanism would be for stopping those, um, uh, stopping those uh, airstrikes against civilians and stopping the daily uh, deaths. I mean, they've reported over a thousand people have been killed, possibly since the end of the cessation of hostilities. Those are almost exclusively through airstrikes. Uh, so we believe that a no-fly zone would help uh, reduce the civilian uh, toll. A no-fly zone doesn't choose between sides. A no-fly zone would merely stop all airstrikes uh, that would be targeting civilians. And there are different, you know, there are different mechanisms. I'm sure Ambassador Hoff has, you know, more detailed, possibly different uh, alternatives to this. But surely, under no circumstance. Uh, would I think, or I think probably Ambassador Hoff would agree that there's any way to end uh, all airstrikes against Syria, if the uh, against Syrians, if the possibility or the you know the option isn't on the table that would be quote unquote war against the Syrian government. أكيد أنت ما عشت بسوريا فكتير صعب تقدر عدد الضحايا اللي عبسقطوا كل يوم بالطائرات. فنحن وقت بنطالب بحظر الطيران هو مطلب انساني ما هو مطلب سياسي 
هذا المطلب هو لحماية المدنيين من القصف الطائرات اليومية يعني نحن عم نحكي عن ألف ضحية بثمانة أيام فهذا الشيء ما بدعونا لنفكر بطريقة ما شو ما كان نوع الطريقة اللي هي إيقاف قتل المدنيين بغض النظر عن طريقة تنفيذها وهي نحن ما بنقدر ندخل بهذه التفاصيل أصلا ما بنعرف كيف تطبق بس بنعرف أنه لازم يتوقف قتل المدنيين بأي طريقة ما ولو كان حظر طيران So, uh, so for you, maybe it's it's easy because you don't live in Syria and you haven't seen the the utter devastation and civilian toll that's resulted from the airstrikes. Uh, we're talking about a thousand civilians who have been killed in eight days. And so, for us, a no-fly zone is not in any way related to a political um, issue. It's a humani- simple humanitarian demand, humanitarian in the sense that we want to stop all the airstrikes that are killing Syrian civilians. We're not experts. We're not military experts. We're not politicians, um, and for us, we we don't care what the mechanism is as long as it the end result is an end to all of the uh, indiscriminate aerial attacks on civilians. أحد الخبراء بالزلازل قال إنه سقوط البرميل بمنطقة معينة هو يعادل زلزال سبعة فاصلة ستة على مقياس رختر. فأنت فيك تتصور كل يوم عندك زلزال على مقياس سبعة فاصلة ستة شو بده يصير بالمدنيين؟ An expert on earthquakes told us that every barrel bomb that's dropped in Syria has the effect of a 7.6 Richter scale um, earthquake. So you can imagine for us to be experiencing many, many 7.6 scale earthquakes in Syria every day on a daily basis and what uh, our response would be to that. Uh, excuse. Uh, hold, yes, hold, hold, hold on just a second. I think I think what I think what most people can agree on in this room is that we're is that we're facing we're facing the consequences of a of a policy of of collective punishment, one that's been in force for the last five years, uh, one that features mass homicide. Naturally, naturally, there are going to be professional differences of opinion as to what can be done to mitigate this problem or end it entirely. Uh, we, can, we can probably spend some, some quality time here debating what these, uh, what these measures are. Uh, the important thing, at least, at least to me personally, as I indicated earlier, is for the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief, to take an active interest in this issue and to go to the Secretary of Defense and, and request a real, a real list of options, one of which might be a no-fly zone that may be, that may be dismissed quick. There are, other, there are other options. But getting, getting the Commander-in-Chief in the, in the middle of this problem, I think, is very important. Yes, sir. Got a mic coming. Thank you very much. Uh, question uh, actually to the Atlantic Council. Uh, it's very difficult to see today, but all wars do end. And one thing I've not been hearing from uh, any group, and I was just up at the UN, is there's no talk about a Marshall Plan uh, to remediate not just Syria, but the uh, neighboring uh, nations that are also impacted by this. Um, is the possibility of suggesting uh, uh, it's time to begin a Marshall Plan um, 
and including the economics of uh, the planet because the future of this of the entire region is dependent upon the outcome of uh, Aleppo. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your question. The, uh, the task of, uh, of material reconstruction in Syria, uh, the restoration of, of basic infrastructure, the restoration of housing stock, everything is going to be enormous and it's going to take many years to implement. In direct answer to your question, the, uh, as we speak, uh, the Atlantic Council is, uh, is launching a project on this uh, that is going to, uh, it's going to take us two years to put all the pieces together, but we, but we think this is extraordinarily important and it is going to uh, be a major focus of the Rafiq Hariri Center Syria program over uh, over the next couple of years at least at least anybody else yes sir uh, our side right uh, it's me Peter Botrustumana min Safara Chikia Hunafi fi Washington Wa shokran liki le Amil Kabir Usaid Shab Suri. I wanted to ask you uh, the question related to the to the situation on the ground in in Aleppo. We know how many groups, opposition groups, armed opposition groups are engaged there, and. Uh, I would like to know whether there is some cooperation for, from your side with them. Do you need some green light to go to certain areas? Uh, do, you, do you work even with former Nusra, uh, Jabatan Nusra group? How far you can go? Can you reach even to Jisar Shuhur from, uh, <coughs> from, from Aleppo? This is, this is the question related to the future, because we, we said that probably wild helmets is the future for Syria. So this, this is the kind of, of cooperation we should look for as well. Thank you. Thanks. ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankYou.ThankY
um, we go to any area regardless of the governance in that area, uh, as long as the uh, party which oversees that area allows us to enter the area, we will go and provide our rescue services in that area. We will cooperate with whatever the authorities are in that given area. Um, and this all stems from two core beliefs that we have at the White Helmets. The first one comes from a Quranic verse, uh, which is that whoever saves a life, it is as if he saved all of humanity. And the second principle is that our job is to save lives and to do it as quickly as we possibly can. And so based on those two principles, uh, that governs all of our work and we would cooperate with any uh, authority uh, in any area to provide those services. I would just add to that that there have, there have even been incidents of uh, the white helmets being able to cross contact lines uh, to uh, retrieve the remains of Syrian soldiers. Uh, so I think, that's, I think that's worth noting. Anybody else? Any other questions? Yes, sir. Hi, my name is Larry Harris and I'm from the State Department. Um, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with us. It's very valuable and we really do appreciate you for coming here. Um, have the White Helmets been involved with any activities to help um, aid convoys reach besieged areas? We know this was a key point of the most recent ceasefire, but unfortunately um, we know that hasn't happened in many areas. Thank you. Okay, any, any connection between the, uh, the White Helmets and uh, United Nations aid convoys? هلا في تعاون بس ولكن على المستوى المحلي بيكون التعاون ما في تعاون على المستوى الوطني مع الأمم المتحدة في شغل كان معهم من بمضايا بالزبداني في شغل كان بالغوطة الشرقية حتى بأثناء إخراج المدنيين اللي من كفرية والفوعة كمان كان في سيارات سعاف ل الدفاع المدني رافقت الوفد من كفريا والفوع على باب الهوى وهذا الشيء نحن يعني أكيد لو في نتمنى يكون بالمستقبل في تعاون أكبر لتغطية احتياجات المدنيين لأنه أكيد الأمم المتحدة هي تبني الخطة الاستجابة تبعها بناء على نحن ما نعرف السنة الماضية كخطة الاستجابة 80% للمناطق اللي تحت سيطرة النظام وعشرين بالميل للمناطق اللي تحت سيطرة المعارضة فهذا الشيء هي بنيت على معلومات خاطئة فنحن نتمنى من الأمم المتحدة بالأصل هي تتعاون مع المنظمات المجتمع المدني المحلي حتى تستطيع من بناء خطة استجابة واقعية تستند للاحتياجات الناس على الأرض So there is cooperation with uh, uh, UN convoys, uh, but this happens mostly on the local level, not on a national scale. Um, for example, in the uh, towns of Madaya, Zabadani, and Eastern Ghouta, there were white helmet um, ambulances that uh, assisted those convoys and um, uh, members of our teams assisted those convoys. Uh, even in the towns of Kafaria and Fua, um, where, um, we as assisted the UN to evacuate civilians from those two towns, which are um, uh, under siege by opposition parties. Um, we provided 
we, we wish to provide more assistance to the United Nations and to be more uh, helpful to them because we know that the UN builds its response plan based on uh, local um, local uh, needs and local factors. Um, and we were um, no, we noticed that in the past the regime has put about 80% of its response in uh, areas under the control of the Syrian government and 20% has been in areas under the control of opposition parties which we believe is imbalanced relative to the needs. So we hope that we can be more supportive and more cooperative with the United Nations in these convoys in the future so that the response plan that's built by the United Nations can be more reflective of the actual needs on the ground. Anything else? Any other questions? Sir. Hi, my name is uh, Jack Kropansky. I'm unaffiliated. I was just curious how the rebels are looking at the current situation. Do they have an expectation that the U.S. is going to jump in, or do they have another plan? I mean, what are they thinking? How do they see their future in the short I suspect, term, the next year? I suspect that expectation is, uh, is under control. But, uh, but Faisal, would you like to comment on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously some of the armed opposition groups view the United States with hostility or distrust, not just, uh, not just the extremist jihadis, but a, a, a big spectrum in the middle. Uh, the others that have come to depend quite closely on the United States, uh, some of the FSA brigades, and they have a very strange and anguished relationship with the United States, because on the one hand, obviously they need them in the material sense, and they are their main outlet to the respectable war diplomatic world. Uh, I think for them, they've reached a conclusion quite a while ago, actually, now that they don't see a material change in U.S. policy, uh, but there is an abstract hope that if there's a change of administration, uh, there'll, be, uh, there'll be a significant improvement. That said, you know, they are in the situation they're in, and uh, I don't think that they have a wide range of options to choose from either way in terms of their general demeanor towards the regime and the conflict. That's my impression that uh, you may hear uh, other, other you may hear otherwise from other persons on the ground. Okay, looks like we've uh, looks like we've exhausted the curiosity of one and all. We'll uh, we'll bring the curtain down five minutes early. I'd like to remind you uh, this evening, Carnegie, six o'clock, full screening of the new. Netflix documentary. Uh, I think we've heard, we've heard today from some people who quite literally represent the best hope for humanity in Syria. Please join me in thanking uh, Raid and his colleague uh, for spending some quality time for us today. We wish you the best.